Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, the nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to an Amber a day, the functional nutrition podcast. I'm your host, Amber Fisher. And today I am here with Dr. Kalia Waddles and she is a, uh, functional naturopathic doctor based out, uh, where are you? You're in Washington, right? We're near Seattle. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And she is like, you know, I'm super fangirling here right now. <laughs> Cause like, I'm a big, big fan of hers. Um, but you know, she does everything fertility um, really super knowledgeable about fertility stuff. So I want to talk to her about some of those things today. Also, she lives on like a super amazing farm. Um, in fact, why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's so excited to, I'm so excited to be here with you and, um, chat about all the things that we love to talk about. So, um, I am very fortunate that my family just moved out to this beautiful 105 acre farm where we're going to grow food and grow medicine. So I'm very proud to be now mama to nine cows and six chickens and um, two peacocks, two dogs, a cat and my two children. So how are you doing that? And you're still, you're still like, you have your practice too, right? It's snacks. You're amazing. Coffee. I don't know how you're doing I mean, I don't know. Like, do you guys take care of all the animals? Like, do you have help or, or do you just like do it all? We we don't have help yet, but is is doing farm life for a living. So, you know, that's what he does. That helps. We put, we put our kids to work a little bit, but at some point when we grow, we'll have to bring on some help. But right now we're just doing the family business thing and making it happen. That is so cool. So I'm going to link to, to the Instagram account for that. Um, cause it's called noble Rose ranch, right? Yes, noble Rose ranch. Please follow along. We, I yes. know, plus we're like, we're new farmers. And so it's kind of our journey of this city family moves out to the country and watch our trials and tribulations and everything that we do. I know. I found it really fascinating. That's like one of my dreams too, is I grew up actually kind of out in the country and my parents have like chickens and stuff. And so it's a goal of mine to eventually get to buy some land. And just, I just feel like whenever I look at the pictures of your ranch, I'm just like, Oh, it's so peaceful. Like the rainbow that you had not that long ago. I was like, wow. Yes. So beautiful, but it's it such a so concept too, to like grow food and everything. So do you have plans for that? Like, are you guys going to like sell it to the community or what, what are your kind of thoughts? on? We that? have big plans. This is like long-term thinking. So, yeah. um, so my husband grew up on a farm and while I didn't grow up on a farm, I got a nutrition degree where we really focused on, you know, food access, whole foods, making food accessible So the dream is that one day we're able to grow food and give back to our community, whether that's at the farmer's markets or just, you know, I have um, two little girls and my oldest daughter's in kindergarten this year. And just looking at the school lunch menu, which I'm so grateful for food access in the public school system. But I mean, when you look at the menu, it's tough to see, right? So for example, 
one of the first meals when we first moved, I saw on the menu was chili cheese Fritos. Like that's the lunch for the kids. Right. And I, I had to take a step back and be like, okay, I'm glad people are getting the resources that they need, but how are you going to eat chili cheese Fritos and then go sit in class for three more hours when you're six or five? Yeah. And so my master plan one day is get this farm up and running, get more involved in the school system to really bring the healthy foods in with the kids. Yes. I think that's so important, you know, because I grew up, we always ate the school lunch and it was just disgusting. Like looking back on what I ate growing up, you know, and, and so many of our chronic diseases now are so tied to what we eat. And I just feel like, like for my son, you know, because I went through a long struggle to have him. And now it's really, really important to me that he eats like fresh food and vegetables and fruit. And I worry about when it's time for him to go to school and what's going to happen there, you know? So, so yeah, I think that's beautiful dream. I could totally see it being like a Netflix, like documentary. I'm going to put that into the universe here for us. Like we need to follow this. Oh my gosh. That'd be so cool. Um, so what made you like interested in, uh, nutrition in the first place and how long have you been you, I think you and I are like about the same age, right? Cause I was born in 88. So we're like, yep, I was born in 87. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you've been like a, in the nutrition world for a while, right? Yeah. So when I was um, a teenager, I started seeing a naturopathic doctor and just such a transformational experience for me. I think if you've gone from a conventional model of care to someone that takes 90 minutes with you and asks you all the questions and does all the things, it feels different. You feel different when you leave. Um, And we happened to live in a town. um, My husband and I, who was my boyfriend at the time, but my husband now, and we moved into this house that was down the street from Bastyr University, which is one of the biggest, you know, health science universities here in Washington. So we moved down the street and then my ND told me, she was like, I, you love to talk about food. I think you might want to study nutrition. Um, And so she kind of got the ball rolling and I did some investigating. We lived down the street. So I applied to the program um, and it was, you know, when you have those moments in your life where you're like, dang, this is where I'm supposed to be. That's what it was. Like I went to the Bastyr campus and I realized this is where I'm supposed to be. And they had the garden and in our nutrition program, it wasn't just the, it wasn't just the, you know, biochemistry and the anatomy and physiology. We had to take whole foods cooking and organic gardening. And we really engaged with the food That's on cool. a whole new level. Um, and so I think at that point I was doing a lot of it's like kind of embarrassing to say now, but I was doing a lot of exploration. Like, do I want to be a raw foodist? Do I want to only be vegan? Do I want to be on a ketogenic diet? Like really trying to find my food identity. Um, and it gave me so many tools to explore that. And so that's, that's kind of where it all started. I love that. I think that's really, that's a good way of putting it. Cause I think a lot of us who are in any kind of like functional field, whether we're nutritionists or doctors or whatever, we go through those same phases that I think a lot of our clients go through of trying to find their food identity. Like I got into nutrition in the first place because of paleo actually. So I was like, I had PCOS and I didn't have access to, um, like we didn't, I mean, I'm in Texas, so like, we don't really know what naturopaths are down (laughs) here. You know, there's a few really good ones here in, in, in town, but anyway. Um, so yeah, so I had a very like conventional medical experience and was really disheartened by it and just felt not listened to and not heard. And so I got into nutrition just like on the internet and I got really sucked into the whole like paleo thing, which was big at the time. 
in like 2012, you know, it's like mm-hmm. a big deal. And I interned for, uh, I actually interned for one of these popular paleo bloggers and stuff. I was really into that for a while, but you know, it took time and a lot of experimentation. Like I've tried all the things like keto, vegan, like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it takes time to figure out where you, what's the right balance for you. And I think that's really important for people to know too, is that there is no one perfect diet. All these diets are like having it out with each other over who's better. And I'm like, the point is there's no one diet that's good for everybody. So yeah, I want to fight. You're never going to finish. Exactly. I'm, I'm sure that what you, what you took away too, is you take parts from all of it. I mean, that's where I've landed anyway, is that I took the parts of all of it that worked for me. And now that's my plan moving forward, but that's going to be different for everyone. And so I always tell people what works for me doesn't necessarily mean that's going to work for you and vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, as a practitioner too, I don't know if you experience this, so I don't want to speak for you, but like, it's sometimes hard as the practitioner to, um, to see your own self objectively as well. Like, I feel like it's easier to help my clients figure out what's right for them, but I'm still doing the work too, to figure out what's right for me. And like, I know you talked before about having micronutrient testing done. And I actually did that not that long ago either. And I was like, whoops, you know, I had like a B12 deficiency and a calcium deficiency. And I'm like, how does this happen? But it's because, you know, nutrition is really difficult and it has to be really individualized. Yeah. My husband always teases me like you are your own worst patient. I'm like, of course, everybody's their own worst patient. Yes. Not to get tunnel vision. We need somebody else for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I I started seeing somebody Mm -hmm. recently who I've been cross referring with for a long time because I'm like, I need someone else to tell me what to do because I know what to do, but I won't do it unless somebody tells me. So, well, and it's interesting because when you work in healthcare and then you see someone as a provider who knows what you do, they're like, I don't want you to be my patient. You already know what to do. And it's like, no, I really, I need you to tell me. I know it's like, it's that accountability portion. That's so important too. And it's the outside set of eyes, which I think the temptation with nutrition in general for people, especially for women, I think because women, you know, we're kind of like raised with this understanding, I guess, of like food and nourishment and stuff. And so the temptation is to be like, oh, I've got this, like I can figure it out on my own. But I think people get so much further when they bring in a professional to help them, especially if they have a chronic health condition, because there's just so much to it. Like there's so, so much complexity to, to diet and nutrition for, you know, especially when we talk about like fertility and stuff like that, I really think it makes a big difference in outcomes, especially if you're going to go through like IVF or something like that. Absolutely. I'm a nutritionist in our office and I refer to her all the time. And people are like, even when they say, I think I have a good handle, you know, on what I'm doing, but I, I feel like when you work with a nutritionist, it's so specific to you. And also the practical implementation piece of, yeah, I yeah. the foundational pillar, like from a, um, from a logical perspective, I get why this makes sense, but can I put it to play in my actual lived experience in my real life with my kids and my job and soccer practice and all of this stuff? Yeah. I think that's probably like 80% of what I do is just that handholding of like, here's how you implement this. Like, I don't know, just the people need that. Somebody has to be available to do that. And one of the things that gets hard, the, the, you know, more people you bring into your practice is like, how do you 
you know, how do you do that for everybody? I mean, this is a struggle that I've been going through. Like the work-life balance thing is really, really tough in functional medicine. I think because like you can get very attached to patients and like wanting them to do well. And it's like hard to figure out boundaries with all that stuff, but people need that. They do need somebody to help them through things. So it's, it's interesting. It's definitely an interesting experience, but, um, I was going to ask you something. Okay. So you talked recently about preconception labs. And so I wanted to ask because a lot Mm -hmm. of my listeners are people who have PCOS and they're going to be going through like IVF or other fertility treatments. What do you think are really important labs for them to get? I mean, do you, do you feel like there's things that are missing in normal workups? Totally. So I think the biggest one that you and I will agree on, because I've heard you talk about this too, is just a fasting insulin, right? For PCOS. I don't know why it's so controversial just to run a fasting insulin. It makes so much sense to me. Um, I I have a lot of patients with PCOS and and luckily here in Washington state, I'm able to serve as a primary care doctor. So if they haven't had these labs done, I'm just going to order them myself. Um, But I do have some patients who they have a really good relationship with their, with their current PCP. I'm serving as more of a fertility specialist for them. So they might want to take my lab suggestions back to their PCP and talk to them about it. I had an experience recently where I said, you know, you have, you have PCOS, your cholesterol is super elevated. Your testosterone is really high. We need to understand the driving force behind this. And for many people it's, it's hyperinsulinemia. And I think we should do a fasting insulin. And so she took that information back to her PCP who said, well, I think Dr. Waddles is excessive. (laughs) She's excessive. He's excessive. And and I was almost kind of proud. I was like, yeah, 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 I I deserve to be a little (laughs) excessive and to understand what's going on. But, but in all reality, a fasting insulin for a condition that is documented to, you know, have hyperinsulinemia as a driving force in so many people, that seems like really appropriate to me. So I always make sure that that's on board uh, because we know that when insulin is elevated, it causes the theca cells inside the ovarian tissue to get bigger and then they increase their testosterone production. So if we really want to do root cause medicine and say, let's go to the source of the source of the source, we got to know what's going on with insulin, right? Yeah. I don't under, I really don't understand the resistance to running that lab because I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I don't run a lot, you know, labs like that. I usually have my clients work with their provider to do that, but Mm -hmm. I get a lot of pushback. Like the other day, actually somebody, I told a client, I was like, ask your doctor to run a fasting insulin for you. And the doctor came back and was like, I don't understand what this has to do with nutrition. I'm like, Insulin has everything to do with nutrition. Like, and one of my big frustrations is, especially in those with PCOS who are not overweight, when they won't run that because they're like, well, your glucose looks fine. Your A1C looks fine. So we don't need to run this. And I'm like, you're not understanding that it's like for the actual like diabetic stuff to start happening that takes a long time with some people. Like there are people like me or other clients like me who have hyperinsulinemia, but you're not going to see it on blood work unless you run a fasting insulin. Um, so that's just really, really frustrating to me. I don't yes. know. I don't understand. The resistance. Frustrating. Well, I'm always going to add that to the lab order. 
insulin as well as my androgens, right? So I'm doing total free bioavailable testosterone, DHEA sulfate, dihydrotestosterone often. Um, and then a full thyroid panel. I know that you talk about this too, just the importance of getting a full thyroid workup, especially when we see the overlap between patients with PCOS and hypothyroidism. This is a must. Yeah. So for me, that's TSH free T3, free T4, reverse T3, uh, thyroid peroxidase antibodies, thyroglobulin antibody, the whole meal deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, I'm also looking at the other markers of glucose regulation, the fasting glucose, hemoglobin A1C, all of that standard stuff, comprehensive metabolic panel. We, we want to look at liver and kidney function. That's a whole other conversation. I see liver stuff going on all the time and people had no idea in the preconception yes. phase. Um, hemoglobin, or, uh, sorry, high sensitivity C-reactive protein. I run that in all of my patients with PCOS too. We know that there can be an inflammatory component. So I'm always um, looking at that. Uh, ferritin, we got to understand what's going on with iron sufficiency. So really we're, we're doing a lot of blood work and I'm always telling people we got to be fasting. They're going to do a lot of, <laughs> they're going to draw a lot of blood, bring a snack and some water for right after you're done. Because- yeah, right. Well, and I just feel like at least my experience as as a person who has gone through health issues, and I know a lot of my clients tell me this too, it's very frustrating when you know you have this chronic issue, right? And you just want to know more information. You just want to understand what's happening in your body. You want to understand like what's it, what it's doing right now. Um, you understand, I think that there are things you're going to need to change, but what you want is to be able to see almost like a before and after picture. Like you just want a picture of what's going on with you. You want information. And, um, I don't understand the resistance to getting more data. I mean, I know some things are, you know, a little bit more, Oh, I don't know. What's the word? Like, you know, they're maybe not medically necessary or whatever, but I think Mm -hmm. that definition sort of depends on the person who you're working with because, as a fertility specialist, I'm guessing that all of that stuff is really important for you and putting a plan together for that person. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like, um, I just wish the world was different. I think maybe it's changing a bit, like, but it's slow and it's, it's frustrating. I mean, this is the, the, the beautiful part about functional medicine though, right? Our functional medicine database of practitioners is growing all the time. And this is yeah. bread and butter. This is what we're trained to do of you know, you can run some labs and then you have your lab report and there's a bunch of numbers on there. And I think a lot of times patients show up and the doctor's like, okay, A1C, great, 5.0, perfect. But but really where the art of medicine comes in, I think is telling a story about the labs and relating that back to the symptoms that your patient is having so that everyone can understand how these numbers translate to what you're actually experiencing. And so I think that's where you know, as we talk about advancing the functional medicine model and making that the standard of care, that the yeah. emphasis that we put on the retelling of the story is everything. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I totally agree. And to just a little shout out for the IFM, like if you guys go to ifm.org, you can use the little tool there, find a practitioner in your area. There are several in, um, San Antonio where I'm based, but there are also like lots in Austin and other parts of Texas. And then I know a lot of you aren't from Texas, but anyway, for my Texas people, there are some of us out here. Um, it's just sometimes a little harder to find depending on where you live, but 
I think functional medicine is worth like driving a bit for if you can, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a totally different experience. Like you said, when you work with a provider who's trained like this, the amount of time you get with them just to be listened to and heard. I mean, that that's worth so much. It really is. Yeah. I'm very biased being on yeah, sure, IFM since 2017, um, but we have over a thousand certified practitioners now. And so the likelihood that you'll find someone that's fairly accessible is getting better and better all the time. And I think one of the if we have to find a silver lining, one of the beautiful parts about the COVID era is that telemedicine is the norm, right? Almost everyone's yeah. going to offer virtual visits. And so that's one of the blessings that we have is that that's actually really increased accessibility. For the next couple of months, I'm actually going to be taking a step back from my clinical work and just regathering my energies, really focusing on my role at the Institute for Functional Medicine. I think that mm-hmm. can provide medical education that teaches other doctors how to do the functional medicine model, that that's, that's like bigger than just me, right? That's yeah. changing the healthcare system, which is so much bigger than just me as a human. And so really elevating that message, I think is going to have the biggest impact. Um, and then hopefully I will reemerge in my practice with a really fertility specific practice because the, the unfortunate reality is we know that there's a great need for fertility yeah. support, right? As you already mentioned, we're seeing subfertility, infertility really on the rise. And if we are, you know, as functional medicine practitioners, I think we're well-suited to meet those needs because we look at the whole, com- the complexities of humans and really get an understanding of what's going on. So if anybody's going to do that work, it's going to be us. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, at the mo- at this moment in time, it's very new, right? Like it's a newer model, yeah. but although I, in, functional medicine has been around for about how long would you say? Yeah, so the IFM is actually celebrating our 30th anniversary this year. Um, and so for, oh. formally it's been around for at least 30 years, but I would say that there's those those pioneers that were doing functional medicine before it had a name. Um, but mm-hmm. in the whole scheme of things, it is a newer model. And we're now seeing research emerge showing that a functional medicine approach definitely improves chronic disease outcomes, especially. I will be very excited to see if some fertility specific literature emerges in the near future. Cool. Um, but it's definitely, I think, becoming more mainstream, which I'm so excited about. And I feel like that's one of my missions in life is just to make the fact that functional medicine exists more approachable and more visible. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I love being a part of the IFM for is that it's, it structures the process of becoming a functional practitioner and it like legitimizes it in a way because it's very evidence-based and Sometimes I think people use the term functional or, and not really maybe knowing where it comes from or what it means. And there are some people who have maybe an inaccurate idea of what functional medicine is. Um, And so I love that just since I have just pretty much since I've been in the nutrition world that I feel like it's becoming this thing where people know what that means more and more, and they're actively seeking that out. And so I just think the collective is starting to kind of like turn on to it. I've seen that down here. I mean, in San Antonio, you know, we're not like always on the cutting edge of everything, like with this kind of stuff. But for me as a practitioner, like 
when I started my practice, nobody really like knew what functional nutrition was down here. And now it's become this thing where like, I see other nutritionists using that term and everything. So I think that's good. Like it's good for, for it to get out there more because we desperately need more people doing this. Yeah. Really do. What we have found is, you know, you mentioned already IFM has their find a practitioner search and over a million people clicked that thing last year. So wow. there is a huge demand. And I think that's really driving the path forward is that patients know what they want and they're asking for it. And I am so excited that that's, that's the new wave. Yeah. I think that's really, really cool. I really do. Um, so how did you get involved with IFM? Well, I was very fortunate when I was in, let's see, my, my third year of medical school, I had a friend who was interning, um, at the IFM and she had such a good experience. And so she introduced me to the director of medical education here and we just had a lunch and, um, I basically begged to have a spot, you know, I lived seven minutes from the IFM office. And so I was like, listen, I will come and I will work for free. I will do whatever. I just want to learn and be connected to the community. Um, and they were so gracious that they were like, actually, we do have some big projects coming up. Just, you know, we'll, we'll take you on as an intern for just 10 hours a week. And you can, you know, just help out with some things temporarily, right? Just while we're really busy. And I said, okay. So I started interning and then just weaseled my way into the whole community here and really got involved in so many of the projects and um, was able to stay on through my last year of medical school. And then when graduation came, uh, I I just came out with it and was like, you guys, I love it here and I really want to stay and I learned so much and will you please keep me? Um, and fortunately they were willing to do that. And so after I graduated, I took on, um, more of a full-time role. I actually didn't see patients for the first year after I graduated. Um, I had a baby, um, four weeks after graduation. And so I had my little ones and I, um, was so grateful for my work at IFM because it allowed me to keep learning and be engaged in the clinical experience to attend conferences, um, and be with my family. And so I, um, I truly am so thankful for my work here. And I think a lot of people take IFM courses and don't realize that there's all these people on the back end that are like, we're a big, happy family and love each other so much. And so much work, I mean, from every single member of this organization goes into spreading the message about functional medicine. And so I'm just so, so eternally thankful that I get to be a part of it as we're watching it emerge and become, you know, such an exciting time to, to be in the functional medicine world. So, um, when you're working with someone on, um, like fertility type Mm -hmm. stuff, what do you feel like, what are some of the most common like issues that you feel like come up in that? Because I guess for me, I see a lot of PCOS, you know, um, and I think that's probably a selection bias because I, have PCOS. And so people kind of identify with that, but I also see a lot of like autoimmune um, Mm -hmm. issues and unexplained infertility kind of going with that. So what are some of the most common things that you see? Yeah, I think you touched on it. So PCOS is a big one in my practice too. And then beyond PCOS, it's just women who aren't ovulating for whatever reason, maybe there's an energy deficit, 
maybe there's a PCOS spectrum going on, which I don't know if you say this all the time in your practice, but I'm saying all of the time, anything that's a syndrome in medicine means we don't know, right? Yeah, exactly. That means there's so much uncertainty. And so people always want really solid details about PCOS. And for some of that, it exists, but like you mentioned already, a lot of a lot of people don't fit the kind of boxes that we want to put them in with PCOS. And it's just, it's a syndrome because we don't know. There's a lot that we don't know. Um, so PCOS, I call it a basket diagnosis. I just feel like they just kind of throw you in there. Yep. And you're like, this doesn't really fit me, but okay. Like I'll be part of the group. Yeah. Yep. I'll take parts of it. I will, I will receive parts of this. Um, and then just not ovulating. So I'm doing labs all the, t- the time to figure out, you know, I'm looking at the gonadotropins, FSH, follicle stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone, trying to figure out are the brain and the ovary, are they talking to each other in a nice voice? Um, so figuring that part out. And then auto- <laughs> nice I already voice. brought up the amount of, of patients that come to me with uh, an elevated thyroid stimulating hormone. And that leads us on this investigation where we find elevated thyroid antibodies. And we, then we know that there's autoimmune thyroid disease or Hashimoto's thyroiditis happening is all the time that happens in my practice. Um, and so those are probably the top things that I see. What I will say is there's so many things that come up. For example, I mentioned earlier, like I'll do routine screening and find super elevated liver enzymes, which brings us down this whole path of what are toxic exposures happening or what's going on with insulin. Uh, You know, I would say that sometimes we stumble upon diagnoses that aren't necessarily fertility specific, but definitely impact our fertility in the long run. So even when, you know, I've diagnosed some interesting gut infections that are impacting nutrient absorption and a conversation I have all of the time is our body is constantly taking in input from our external, external environment to figure out, is it safe to reproduce? Um, right. And so if we're not absorbing our nutrients or we have chronic inflammation all the time, or our immune system is hyperactive, that's feeding back to our nervous system and our internal safety sensors all the time saying it is not safe out here. And yeah. so we're uncovering these things that maybe one would think it's a stretch to relate that to fertility. Well, actually that's, what's cultivating a safe environment. Yeah. I mean, when they talk about this in IFM all the time, survival trumps fertility, right? Mm -hmm. And like, I am always telling people, your body is kind of saying, why would I be fertile if I'm not like safe? If I, if I'm not healthy right now, I don't have the resources to take from you to give to another human being, you know, because the body's smart. Like it knows that it's not just nine months of growing that human being, but then potentially like feeding that human being and all of that for however long. So, um, I mean, we've seen this in the past as well, like during times of famine and things like that, fertility markers go down Mm -hmm. and there are not as many babies born. It's the same thing today, except our issues now are we have an overabundance of food, but it's nutrient poor. So it's, it's, sort of the same thing. in a lot of ways, a lot of us are starving. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just, it it is sometimes difficult. I mean, usually by the time people come to see me, they're like kind of open to nutrition because obviously they're coming to see a nutritionist, but in general, like the population at large, I think it's hard for them to make the connection sometimes of like, well, I have this diagnosis or this issue over here, but it's not like a hormone issue. So why should it be affecting my fertility? But you're absolutely right. 
Yeah. Well, that's why it's so important too, when we talk about the body as a web, right? That's what you learn in the functional medicine model is that the body is a web. It's all connected. There's interconnection between all of your body systems. And even if we, you know, if you have something going on in your lymphatic system or your cardiovascular system, well, that's all connected to your hormones and your biotransformation and your energy production. And if we pull on that cardiovascular system on that part of the web, because you have, you know, metabolic syndrome or even just elevated cholesterol, we, we tug on that part of the body system. It's going to spill over into all of the other body systems. And so I think that's going back to telling the story, like being able to connect the dots for people is an invaluable part of our work as healthcare providers, because it, it gives some context to what seems a little bit nebulous. Yeah, I, I agree. And that kind of work, especially when it comes to fertility, if it's feasible for the person financially, I think is always best to do with a trained provider. I just think it's you, there are a lot of things you can do on your own, But if you're struggling with fertility to the point where you're probably going to be using fertility treatments, I really think it makes a big difference in outcomes when people actually work with a professional on that in advance. And we talk Mm -hmm. about preconception all the time and the timeline for that. It's longer than you would think. It's like you, I mean, I don't know about you, but I usually tell people like four to six months before Mm -hmm. an IVF retrieval, I want to start working on nutrition and supplementation and all that. Mm -hmm. And I think you brought up a really good point that uh, this is the same for my practice that a lot of times people come to me and they feel like they've tried everything, right? They've been through the standard workup and they feel like they've tried everything. And then we have these additional tools to offer to say, oh, actually, have you looked at your gut health and your adrenals and your fasting insulin? There's actually things that we haven't looked at yet. Give me a little bit of time. And that's a big ask, right? Because when people wanted to get pregnant, they wanted to be pregnant yesterday. And so to say like, let's carve out some intentional time. That's actually a, a really big ask, but we know that I, I never make promises to say like, you're definitely going to get pregnant, right? That's just not realistic. We don't know. But what I do feel very confident in is even if my patient still needs IUI or IVF, I know that the work that we do to make them a more resilient organism as a human, it's going to lead to better outcomes, even if they do need advanced reproductive treatment. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, it, it's improved egg quality and that's yes. huge. I mean, I often think about with IVF too, that it, it, that it seems like most, even with, with PCOS and this ability to, to like hyperstimulate and make all of these eggs, if we don't have the nutrient resources, there's no way that our body is going to be able to put the energy into each one of those eggs, you know, like, so what we can make mature looking eggs, but if we don't have the the nutrition for them, then are they really going to be like viable? And, um, you know, we do know that there is a, there is a connection between nutrient status and egg quality. I mean, there are certain, there's supplementation that's been said, you know, CoQ10, like has lots of research behind it for improving egg quality. Um, NAC, you and I are both big fans of NAC. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just feel like, but there are things that diet can do too, that, that are, have similar outcomes, you know? So, so I just think it's really, really important. But like you said, it's a big ask. And I know, cause I went through IVF, like you don't want to slow down. You're like, let's go. We're ready for IVF. We're going to do IVF. Let's do it now. Um, but 
I have seen that with my clients who they take a little bit of time before their next cycle to kind of just prepare their bodies. I also feel like it helps a lot with mental health and with the, the um, stress mm-hmm. of that journey as well. Um, and then with your ability to like detox, I mean, you're putting a lot of hormones in your body mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So, yeah, I always tell people it's not, it's, we're, we're not taking a break. We're still moving forward just in a yeah. different direction. The path is still moving forward. And so we don't have to feel like we're stagnant. It's actually really important work. Yeah, I agree with that. I love that. Well, I feel like that's probably a good place to end today. Um, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I so appreciate you um, coming on the podcast and talking to us. I know that this was really valuable for everybody listening. So I'm going to link below to all of, uh, her stuff. And so that you guys can follow along. Um, I will also link you guys to one of my favorite posts of hers about her glutathione salad. It's a must. <laughs> she's, she's got the glutathione salad and it's really good. So you guys have to try it. Um, improve your egg quality right there. Yep. And, um, and yeah, so if you have questions for the podcast, you can email an Amber day podcast at gmail.com. Leave us a review guys. I don't know what else to say, but this was a lovely conversation and I hope you all have a great week. Thank you for being here. Yay. Okay. Let me stop recording. If you learned something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it if you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend. If this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want, and I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.